Yeah, yeah, no, it, it it makes such a big difference. And also then like kind of playing around with other things, like I've, through the training and everything, I got stung hundreds, hundreds of times by jellyfish. Like it's, and then it's always like, a, oh, these jellyfish, oh. And then I kind of started thinking, so when these jellyfish come into contact with me, they release all the energy that they have into me. So why don't I channel channel that energy into pushing me on and get, 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 making me stronger rather than making it an issue, you know? So really trying to take turn negatives into, into positives. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. Welcome to episode 199 of the Effortless Swimming Podcast. Got a special guest today, uh, Neil Ajuce. Uh, he recently broke the world record for the longest nonstop swim in the ocean, which is 125 kilometers over uh, 52 hours. So, Neil, first of all, congratulations on an incredible swim. And uh, he actually broke the record of uh, a friend of mine and someone who I actually used to train with, uh, Chloe McArdle. She held the record at 124 kilometers. Um, so, he bested her by a bit over a kilometer, um, but an incredible swim. So, um, this all, this all happened in in July, so fairly recently. Uh, so um, how how do you feel a couple months later after uh, doing such an incredible swim? Um, still trying to really process it. Uh, a lot of things have changed. Um, lots of people recognize me in the streets as well. So it's um, learning how to be in that space as well because it's I'm not such a, a person who likes a lot of attention on myself. But it's good because um, gives me a chance to grow and and learn from it as well. And so you swam from the island of Linosa, uh, which is an Italian island, to Malta, which is where you're from. So, and you've done a few big swims in the past, like you've you've swum around Malta, which is I think 70 kilometers, yeah. um, and then you did the Sicily to Malta, which was 102 kilometers. Um, and so, did you get much uh, publicity? Did you get a lot of uh, attention then in Malta, or is this did this completely change it for you? Um, yeah, no, it did definitely. For me, it was really much, I was, uh, just wanting to swim around Malta. Um, and that was kind of my thing, do that. And I'm done and I'm done from swimming and I'm just going to move on. But, uh, so many things happened throughout that swim that it became really, really interesting of how much can I actually challenge myself, my body, my mind. And before I knew it, I was about to start a swim from Linoza to Malta, which was uh, 125 kilometers. And uh, leading into the swim, how much time did you give yourself to, to train and prepare for it? I mean, the, the training is really, really mild training throughout the year. And then the, the real stuff starts from January. So I give myself a six-month period. And this is mainly because um, the training gets so intense that you can't do it for so long. So a lot of swimming at night, lots of hours, six, seven, eight, ten, twelve-hour sessions. So um, that can only go on for a certain period before you kind of start to break down mentally as well. And you have, there's a lot of sacrifices that come to it. If you're doing a 10 hour session, then you're not going to be very active to the rest of the day. So you really need to plan out your schedule well and uh, pre-plan everything. Oh, it sounds like, how did you actually structure your, your week? Did you look at it, say on a Sunday or on a weekend to go, right, this is where I can fit my training. This is where I can work, spend time with the, the family. How, how did it work for you? For me, I do uh, most of the pool training during the week. So from Monday to Thursday, and then on Friday and Saturday, I'd go in the sea and it was a build up from doing like two, three hour swims one week. Then the week after will be one, four hours, then two by five, one by six, 
two by seven, one by eight, two by nine, one by ten, and then finished up with uh, three twelve-hour swims, um, one consecutively. Wow! And um, uh, and how did you um, how did you sort of manage your, your emotions and your energy during that that time? Because I mean, when I try, I trained for a twenty-kilometer swim, which is nothing compared to one hundred and twenty-five kilometers. And uh, like I remember being uh, pretty pretty tired, pretty exhausted a lot of the time, um, just with that kind of training. So um, for you, like, it, it, how did you, how did you manage that? Um, I, I really have a really nice, good recovery. Uh, it's for, I recover quickly, so I get to move in the space quite quickly. And um, it's not the first time that I'd have an eight-hour swim and then rest for a couple of hours and go and go and work because kind of I'm trying to balance both wells at the moment. Yeah, and so um, we're talking before the call. You've got a um, you've got a, a swimming uh, business, like a learn to swim yeah. business. Yeah. Is that right? Learn to swim from six months up to adults fitness and some some athletes. Like I'm training somebody to swim around Gozo in a week's time, so that's pretty exciting. That's like our sister island, which is 37 kilometers, and he doesn't come from much of a swimming background. So to get him to ready for this challenge um, was was exciting. Oh, that's awesome. Is that the first person that you will have coached to do some, yeah, a longer swim like that? Uh, yeah, but I also, call, I'm like, I'm my own coach as well. So I prepare my own, all my programs and all my stuff as well. Um, but yeah, giving it to someone else, it's the, the first time. Yeah, that's really, um, that's really cool. And I mean, the, the experience that you could draw on uh, based on your, your previous swims would, um, would give them a lot of confidence going, going into yeah. it, I imagine. Yeah, and, and it, um, let's talk. It's a good balance between the physical side and also the mental side because when you're in the swimming for so long, then you have a lot of time to to dwell in your in your thoughts, and you can start spiraling very quickly about how tired you are and how difficult this is, and how um, there's a, a period where it's going to be at night, so it's really dark, and you need to be ready to understand what you're getting yourself into and prepare yourself from from all angles. Did you, did you have any sort of uh, strategy for uh, for dealing with that? I had um, a, a friend of mine who did a, the Lake Taupo swim in New Zealand, which is uh, forty kilometers or forty two kilometers, and uh, he said one of his strategies for occupying his mind was to retrace certain um, roads uh, that he like his childhood roads, and um, he found that he could get quite a few hours to pass just uh, trace like pretending he was driving down these roads uh, in his head. Have you got something? like that um what i do what i did is i've created like tools and skills that i use when i'm in certain situations like i i do a lot of meditation and work a lot um with energies that are available to me because it's a completely current neutral unassisted swim so i can't touch the boat cannot hold on a floaty while i'm during my break while i'm eating so i try to use the sun for energy the, the moon for warmth and connect with these um natural sources that uh, are available at that time and let's talk about the, uh, the the swim itself. So, what time did you start uh, the the swim, and um, and and in terms of the water temperature and the conditions and that sort of thing? Because we've had quite a few swimmers who are who have done some reasonably cold water swims, but um, without knowing too much about the area, it's a little bit warmer over there, isn't it? Like, there's um, it's it's not really an issue with the the warmth um, of the water. To be honest. Being in the water for 52 hours, it does become an issue, especially at night when you're you're low on energy and um, 
it, the cold does start to kick in. It's, it's about an average of about 22 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure if you guys work in Fahrenheit, but it's about an average of 22, 23 degrees. Um, so I try to really manage the warmth with my, with my food intake. So I, every half an hour I'd stop for a minute. So I have to drink a little bit and eat a little bit to keep me warm. And so I don't need to eat too much. If I don't stop for five, six hours, then, then I need to eat a lot and then I can get an insulin crash. And so just, that just really keeps my level really constant and steady. Mm. And, um, and, and so what time did you, did you start to swim? Yeah, I started at, uh, 6 PM. 6 p.m. Right. And so is that, um, was there a certain strategy for that or was this just about the conditions being um, right? No, it was um, a strategy to get the first night out of the way while I'm fresh, while I'm uh, uh, really alert and won't be able to to um, lose myself too much. But going, if I have to do another longer swim like that, I think I'll start in the morning because I ended up not sleeping for about 65 hours by the end of it so um i hallucinating and it was quite intense um but thanks to the team i had around me we managed to make it to the end because the the where the really the current was was really 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 intense in the first it was meant to be for four or five hours but it ended up being for the first 16 to 20 hours so i swam the first uh 100 kilometers in uh, 42 hours and I had swam the Sicily Malta swim, uh, which is a hundred kilometers in 28 hours. So I lost 14 wow. hours and that's how I ended up swimming for, for so long. It wasn't really in the plan for me to swim for that long. Yeah. And did you, did you know the current was strong? Could you feel it? Did the team let you know it was just, yeah, no, no, I just, you could, just swim. No, no, you could feel it. Um, but I had done some rough water swimming before, and uh, what I've learned is that you really don't fight with the with the waves. You let them push you around, throw you around, and you need to keep that constant speed of what you would usually be swimming at. So if you're swimming at, which is usually what I would swim is like a one minute 50 per 100 for the entire swim, um, I need to swim at that pace. And then with the waves, I was swimming at three minutes 100 at a point. Wow. And, and what about your... Um cadence is there a certain cadence that you're just trying to yeah stick I need, to yeah is yeah something that you yeah. check in on or yeah i'll be checking myself as well um where i'll be swimming around 42 uh 43 strokes per minute not more if i'm doing more than that then i'm expending too much energy i saw a video of um i think it was from the swim or maybe it was your previous long swim but um yeah like it the your stroke and your style um, was just, just really long every stroke, a fairly low cadence and, um, just very minimal energy exerted. And, um, obviously that, that works so well for, um, the distance and the time that you're, you're doing. And it, um, is that something that you had to change, you know, from your, your pool swimming background? Is it something that you worked on developing to be able to conserve energy? Yeah. Um, it's something that I had to change from the pool, obviously, because in the pool, even if it's the longest distance, you're, you're swimming at a much faster speed. Uh, but what I really learned how to do is really use my hips to really get as much momentum from something that doesn't create lactic acid. And also I, uh, adjusted my, my pull under the water. So it wouldn't be that perfect with that bent elbow completely. It would be more with a slightly straighter arm to get less strain onto, onto my shoulders really. So I can do more rotations. Did that come from um, having an issue with that in the past, or is that something that you um, you just knew you wouldn't be able to su sustain without 
um, perhaps getting injured or um, you know having some some shoulder pain as you're swimming? Um, I, it's, I think it was just from experience that I kind of um, realized that if I'm doing a perfect stroke, then I'm actually putting more strain on my shoulder. So it would make more sense to just put it slightly off, not so perfectly aligned. And that will give me a lot more in distance when I'm swimming so, for so long. Mm. And um, and throughout the uh, the swim, were there any uh, any times where it looked like um, maybe it's you're not going to make it? or where the team was a little bit concerned uh, for you in terms of like your um, state of mind or like how you, were, how you were feeling or how you were swimming? Did anything like that arise over the 52 hours? Uh, yeah, definitely. It happened um, in the very beginning. The first night, it was, really, it was really rough and wild to see. So the energies will be moving around, will be a lot more darker and a lot more not normal to what we're used to. So I was feeling a bit uncomfortable in the water um, and not too happy. But um, together, kind of, we, we raise each other's level and each other's capacity where I kind of keep them going by them watching me do this, this swim continuously there. They go for their rest through their break and then they wake up and they find me still there. So they'll be like, I can't be tired. I'm, this guy's still swimming. So they raise their level of of their capacity and they do the same to me, you know, they push me more and I push them more and together we manage to do these and accomplish these swims. And who was on the, the boat as you're doing the swim? Yeah. So I have a pretty big team. It's a team of 22, 22 people and they're all, they're on three, on the boat, on three separate boats. So I have three sailing boats and yep. one and one rib. And the team is so big because when you're crossing from one country to the other, you need to have a protocol and a preparation for everything. Cause if something happens, you have no access to anything you didn't prepare yourself for. So the, I had three doctors who could perform a small operation if, if needed, and they would be on a roster as well. So they can't remain awake for the whole time. Cause if something happens, they need to be alert and ready to take certain decisions. And then I had the rib next to me. That's where the, my team, the closest from my team come on it. And there'll be a the driver, the motivator and the feeder. And these have a roster of only two, two hours each, maybe sometimes three. And they keep changing because they cannot be on the boat and looking tired and feeling tired because then they start to take energy from me. So every two hours they would change and someone new and fresh will come. And so I keep taking their energy and that's why they get so tired so quickly. So there's a whole, uh, wow, there's a whole a massive setup. team, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot of detail. We really need to go down to the really last detail to be able to, to be doing this for sustain it for so many hours. And then there'll be the chef to cook for the whole team. And then there's the, the observers to making sure that everything is done legally for the documentation for the world record to, to count, which, um, I know you mentioned that I am the world record holder, but we've just submitted the documentation, which should take a few months to be confirmed before it is actually my world record um, away from Chloe's. So we're still waiting on that, but we only submitted it now. It's like a little mini thesis. It's a little book with every detail of every minute of every moment with the current, <laughs> with, with everything, with every, there's a whole, it's a whole book. <laughs> How long did that take to, um, to prepare and with that, did you have to, I imagine you'd have to look into everything that they need to ratify the swim. Like there must be, um, I guess there's some sort of format to, to follow um, for that, that you had to figure out before you left. Yeah. Yeah. We, we contacted them before and they gave us all the things that we needed to, 
to basically rules abide by. And obviously, he already said it's always good. More information go over and above because that gives us a better understanding of what of what happened. So there's details of down to every single uh, medicine that the doctors gave me, if it was a uh, Panadol for my headache, aloe vera for my nose for the for the salt exposure menus of the of the crew what i ate every 30 minutes how many strokes every minute photos it's, it's like a whole uh, it's like a little work of art you know that that they they created the team and that documented everything it's amazing it's like another marathon swim in itself it's, exactly. a, it's a huge amount of work exactly to, yeah to put that together and there'll be three of those and they're uh, going taking it in shift as well so there's people um, driving other people from the rib to the sailing boats. So those will be changing as well. So somebody has to drive them from the sailing boat to the rib that's next to me. So um, everyone is there for a reason. And with one of them not being there, the whole system collapses basically. Because then people have to do yeah, more than you... one job and then they are they can't handle it. It's mm. too tired. These guys are coming not as prepared as I am. I always tell them I have the easy job because I've trained for what I'm going to do and I just put one hand in front of the other. They have to do all the worrying for me. I don't need to think about anything. Even the food, it, it's the the meal plans that I have are all preset. So I prepare the meal sets of what I want, this, this, that, the other, this, this, that, the other. And so I don't need to think about, oh, what do I want to eat right now? It's not what you want to eat. It's what you're given. You eat it, you move on, and you keep going for your next 30 minutes. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You don't want to be thinking about yeah. the crew or the boats. You just want to be focused on your your job. And did you have someone who was sort of the the commander who was in charge of all of all of that, yeah. so you could focus on your swim? Yeah, yeah. There's the Gordon was the guy in charge. Now he's guys like he's such a perfectionist and does his job so so perfectly. And I'm like the kind of opposite of him. And so we kind of meet in the middle. I I remember before the Sicily swim. Um, he's like, we need to start planning. I'm like, oh, we'll just grab a boat. Three of us can go and we'll cross from <laughs> Sicily to Malta and we'll do it. And he's like, that's not going to work. You need to have a setup. You need to have a team. You need to. Um, so, yeah, if it really wasn't for Gordon, it would be um, not possible to, to do these swims, even applying for permits to be able to cross from one country to the other. The entry because of COVID needed to be checked. We had COVID tests to take with us and everything. So it was uh, a whole really big, big project. A quick note from our sponsor. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Form Swim Goggles. With these goggles, you don't have to look at the pace clock anymore or be one of those swimmers in the pool always grabbing for their watch. With Form Smart Swim Goggles, you can see all of your key metrics while you're swimming. Distance, pace, stroke rate, they've got it all. And the swim data is displayed on the goggle lens and you can customize the display to see the metrics that you want to. And I was worried that it was going to be distracting, but you can literally see through the display, the metrics are always there, but you have to choose to focus on them. It's really impressive. And it makes hitting intervals or any kind of specific training much more manageable and achievable. And the goggles track it all, it's automated. So from the time you start your session to the end of the swim, you don't have to press any buttons in between. It automatically tracks everything. Form also works with a bunch of the best pro athletes out there, including Lionel Sanders, Sarah Crowley, Hannah Wells, and Olympic champion Usama Maluli, to name a few. These form goggles are for all types of swimming too. One pair of goggles, and you can use them in the pool, the open water, 
You can use them in swim spas and endless pools too. So the same pair of goggles can be used in all of these different environments. The battery life is incredible too. One hour charge is 16 hours of swimming time battery life. And you can have the display on either your right or your left eye. The goggles themselves come with anti-fog solution that's used in dive masks. So it's great in terms of quality. And there's a protective case with a nifty drainage solution. So after you swim, you can store them safely. And while the goggles connect to the Form Swim app on your smartphone too, they will sync with the Form app. And there you can review all of the details of your swim. And you can see what other swimmers are up to in the Form Swim community as well. I'm a big fan of these goggles. I was really impressed when I used them. And I use them for a vast majority of the sessions that I'm currently doing. To find out more about the Form Swim goggles, go to formswim.com. And you can use our coupon code effortless at checkout and save $15 off your order. Back to the podcast. And uh, you mentioned, um, you've mentioned sort of energy a few times um, with, the, with, the, with the sun and the moon and, and um, giving and taking from your team. Um, is, is this something that, um, that sort of you've become more aware of or you've sort of tuned into more with all of the ocean swimming that you're doing or is this something that you have, have sort of um, uh, you know, noticed for a, a long time? Where's, where's this come about? Um, the spirituality comes from... Um, from home, really, really trying to, or I always find it really important that in the beginning of every day, you give yourself 30 minutes before you start work, before you pick up your phone, before you do all these things to just connect with yourself and be in that, that quiet space. And that from that quiet space where you don't have any interruptions, you get a lot of growth and understanding of um, what you need and how you need to be. And then also I do meditations with with um, music and it's uh, strong, uh, very profound prayers from the chants, from the um, from the tribes, from the the Amazon and the South American traditions. And then when I'm in a very dark place, they play this song from the boat. And so it reminds me of my meditation, reminds me of that quiet space, and it's that slowly brings me back to being in a in a good space. That's unreal, and uh, and and you can hear that in the water. No, no, and, it will be uh, like one minute while I'm on my break where I they play it, and it instantly takes me back there, and then I I'll, I'll be going over that for the for the next swim, the next thirty minutes as well. Hmm. Is there um and and from doing all this long distance swimming, has there has there been things you've realised about yourself or the the way you, you're living your life, anything that you've sort of um, realized from, from doing this open water swimming and that you've, you've changed how you, you approach life or perhaps what you, you do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yes, definitely. I think each time I do such a long swim, it, it's, it changes me completely as a person. You know, you come out with new lessons, new teachings and new understandings of yourself and, and new ideas that you kind of take into your daily life. For example, I really like, there was a point where it was about midway through the swim, I was really feeling my shoulders really tired and I like started dwelling in these thoughts. I'm like, oh, I'm not even halfway there. How are my shoulders already hurting me? How is this possible? And then something else happens that catches my attention and all, all of a sudden you're no longer thinking about your shoulders and they're no longer hurting you. So what if we can take that into our daily daily routine of how powerful is our mind where we... Um, get stuck on certain things and make that thing a bigger thing when we just kind of try and move on from it, then it kind of disappears and it's no longer, it's a non-issue. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? Like I found myself um, oh, the other day, actually, like, so we're, 
in Melbourne, we hold the record for the longest lockdown, um, which is which is quite frustrating. I found myself just getting really annoyed about it. Uh, and and then um, I think I like another few hours later, I went and caught up with a friend, just got chatting, and you kind of just forget about it. And just that change of um, change of what your focus is on immediately, like it changes your mood. Mm-hmm. And so um, you know, the, the mind's a very powerful thing, and if you can control it and steer it and, and harness that. Like you were, you were mentioning, it's um, it's a very um, you know, powerful uh, thing because I think you know mindset is a, probably a huge component of completing the swim that you did. Like physically, absolutely, but you know for me, I think it would be mindset over anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Fifty-two hours and staying awake for that long, it's um, that's a massive achievement. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it it makes such a big difference, and also then like kind of playing around with other things like I'm through the training and everything, I got stung hundreds, hundreds of times by jellyfish. Like it's, and then it's always like, uh, oh, these jellyfish, oh. And then I kind of started thinking, so when these jellyfish come into contact with me, they release all the energy that they have into me. So why don't I channel, channel that energy into pushing me on and get, kicking, give, making me stronger rather than making it an issue, you know? So really trying to take, turn negatives into, into positives. I like I like that approach. We've um there's a there's a lot of jellyfish in the bay here in Melbourne at the moment, and um, a couple of friends have posted about it. So um I'll have to have to remind them next time they complain about running into uh to jellyfish. And imagine doing it at night, getting bitten by jellyfish at night. You can't see the next one coming, you know. So um yeah, it's it's you start to get a little bit uncomfortable in the water, but um. I'm not saying that I'm looking for jellyfish to stick them on because they get, give me energy, but um, try not to make such an issue about a non-issue. Okay, they hurt, yes, kind of get over it, move on. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And um, and you, you also did the swim to um, raise awareness um, for, for a cause and for yeah. a, a charity. So would you like to um, talk a bit about that? And did did having that, that cause in mind make it easy because it felt a little bit more sort of it was a lot felt a bit more selfless as a as a thing to do like is that something that really drove you to to want to uh, complete the swim and make it non-negotiable that you um you know you, you just weren't you were going to make it regardless of uh, how much it hurt yeah there's a lot of little things that that add up to me have wanting to carry on going and the the environment is one of them i started a foundation wave of change um that first started to, it was just kind of, okay, let's do this. So when everyone's looking at me, I can pass on a message that will lead to growth and development from, from everybody who can listen to it. And from there, then we really started to get people on board to really want to make changes in their life, behavioral patterns to just what are they buying? How are they buying? How much are they using, you know, change, replacing products with more sustainable ones. Um, we, we do have quite a problem with litter in Malta and the, the use of plastic is is excessive. And then when everyone's by the sea, they leave them their, their cups of ice cream or, or packets of sweets or whatever it is lying around. And when it's windy, it all gets blown into the sea. And this is kind of mm-hmm. deteriorating our our wildlife. And we see it as it is today. And our grandparents will say, oh, when we were younger, we could see all these things. And now we can't see those things. And then our next generation are going to see even less if we're not going to start taking action. And there's not going to be anything for our children to see. I'm sure you know um, about the, the Great Barrier Reef, how it's, it's, the, it's deteriorating and the, the wildlife is, is dying. And there's not going to be anything for, 
for anyone to to enjoy and to to see because this is something that everyone should be able to to enjoy in life but unfortunately soon it won't be if we don't start making changes and, and did that come about because of what you you experienced at home was it just something that there's clearly obvious uh, from living in in malta or is it um was there a certain event or anything that sort of sparked um, the, this idea the kind of when i was training for around uh, malta i had it was a 20 four hour swim plan, so 22 hours. So there was going to be swimming at night and I had never really swam at night. And on my first night swim, I basically was I've jumped in the sea with friends at night, just kind of jumped in and out, but never goggles cap, you know, a bag full of food ready to go for a long swim. And I was really impressed by how amazing it really is. Um, just putting one hand in front of the other, so quiet, nobody around and was really special and then that moment i swam into a plastic bag i didn't know that what it, what it was at that point but it kind of engulfed my head and i think i lost about five <laughs> years of my life easily i got really 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 big fright there and it was kind of like a sign for the ocean putting that bag there for me to be the the voice of the of the sea to give it a voice to let them they're they're suffocating in plastic and they don't have a voice we need to be their voice yeah, that's, um, that's, that's a big one, isn't it? And I think, I mean, recently, so in February, I moved down to the coast and it's, um, I think when you're, when you're closer to nature and, and for me being a swimmer, uh, especially close to the sea, I think you become a lot more um, aware of those things and, and you kind of want to protect them. You want to make sure your, it's there for, connection, for a very long time. Your connection with the ocean grows. The more you spend time in it, the more your love and understanding of it grows. And then when you're swimming, you've got goggles on and you're swimming and you could see what's what's underneath there you know um uh, there are some places in malta where we'll even find fridges and cookers and and all sorts of um things that people dump in the sea you know because it's the easier way out yeah yeah that's right and um uh, and i'm guessing it's probably even um yeah more so because it's such a it's such a small island is it like there's you know i know here in australia it's a massive country lots of free space and Sometimes if you go out to the to the country or to the bush, you'll see mattresses, you'll see refrigerators dumped like yeah you know, by just next to the uh, next to the trees and stuff. So I imagine it's um that's the sea for uh, for you guys in Malta. Yeah, pretty much. They they dump them wherever really. They try and kind of avoid the cost of spending the money to do it uh, legally. So they kind of just drive with a mm -hmm. truck and chuck it wherever it is the easiest. Mm. And um and so since the swim have you. Uh, being able to return to the pool and get back into it, or is there has, was there a bit of time out where you're just like I don't want to look at the water, or and, and yeah, I don't want to spin the arms over it all. Not really, don't want to look at the water, but I haven't swam yet in the sea. Um, I, I went for like leisure swims with friends or whatever by the day by the beach, but I don't actually do any training for up to eight to nine weeks because I want my body to fully recover. My mind mentally and my body needs to fully 100% recover before I start training for the next one. Because if you don't let that happen, then you are not being sustainable for this to be your thing for a long time. Um, I have a few swims that I really want to want to accomplish over the next few years. And if I don't, and I jump back into it, I'll feel like I'm recovered, but am I really recovered? I needs to be every nook and crank and every muscle has to be fully, fully, fully recovered before you start your next cycle of training. 
Yeah, that's it's it's so important. And I was listening to the Australian coach Dean Boxall, who I don't know if you saw him at the Olympics uh, when Ariane Titmus won the four hundred free. Uh, but so he became pretty well known. But he was talking about uh, when he got back from the Olympics. So here in Australia, there's a two week quarantine period where they basically go into isolation for two weeks and then they can go back into you know, the normal world. And he was saying that uh, like with his swimmers, there was no set date uh, for them to return to the pool and for him to return to coaching. They were just going to kind of play it by ear and just like they just needed time to relax and to just like, yeah, and, and just kind of let normal life happen. And then when he started to sort of uh, feel, all right, it's time to get back into it, they're ready to go. But because you know, the Olympics is such a huge preparation and so much effort and you know, it's four years or five years now of, uh, of of practice goes into it, you need that downtime. You need to balance it out. And um, and for you, for those upcoming swims, are they things that you've mentioned uh, to, to others or are these ones just in the back of your mind, you, you know what you, you're working towards? They're, they're in the back of my mind. They're, um, uh, I don't think it will be me trying to break this world record again for the next two years, but then after that, I'll definitely um, try to swim over 150, maybe 160 kilometers. Um, that's what my next goal will be. But in the meantime, I have some cool swims that I want to do, um, that I can't really mention just yet. Um, but, um, yeah, something really different, what people aren't doing swims that have never been done before. Um, so it's really exciting what the future holds. Well, uh, I, I wish you all the best for, um, for those swims and, um, it's, uh, well, and, and fingers crossed the, uh, the ratification goes through for the, for the world record. And I don't see why it, uh, why it wouldn't. So it's, um, it's been great having you on the podcast and wh where can people find you on, uh, on Instagram and, uh, and some other places? Uh, yeah, they can check out my Facebook page on Facebook, uh, which is Neil Ajuice or it's, uh, neil.ajuice on Instagram. Uh, maybe I'll send you my links to the pages so you can upload it with the video. Yeah, excellent. We'll put that on the on our website and um, make sure to take you when this uh, this episode goes out. So, uh, Neil, thanks very much for uh, for being on the podcast and congratulations once again. It's a it's a massive feat and um, looking forward to seeing what you've got in store. I, I I'd like to pry further into uh, what you've got in mind, but um, I know I know you're not going to uh, to share that. So, uh, I, yeah, I won't, but you can invite um, me back when I, when it's when it's announced. Yeah, I definitely will. Yeah, looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, thanks very much, Neil, and uh, all the best. Yeah, thanks, Brent. Thanks for having me um, all the way from Australia. A real uh, pleasure talking to you. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.